Hey, everyone. It's Vanessa, and I'm here to talk to you about Noom. Noom is a personalized weight loss plan. It's not just one size fits all. It takes into account your dietary restrictions, your medical issues, and any other personal needs. It's like a psychology plan. Just it meets you where you are. And it also recognizes that losing weight is really a mental process. It starts with your motivation and with your brain. Noom's approach is also grounded in science. They've published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles that describe their methods and effectiveness. So stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. You can sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes. It's available to buy now wherever books are sold. Campsite Media. I was beginning to realize that there were two sides of Nexium, the yin and the yang, the sun and the moon. I almost felt like there was one public face that Nexium showed the world, the one with the sashes and all that. And then there was this very secretive other face. The moon face that was only visible to a chosen few. The secret society, the branding. What I still didn't understand was how the outer skin of Nexium fit in with its inner secrets. So I did what we also often do when we're perplexed by a problem. I went on YouTube and I found a bunch of Nexium promotional videos. So when I first came into Jeunesse, I had just come out of a relationship and I was feeling very scared and lost and confused and like, oh my gosh, am I going to be single forever? It was Alison Mack, the actor and Nexium member. Am I ever going to be able to have a relationship? What's wrong with me? Like, ah, all this stuff. And, uh, Alison looked a bit different. When I met her, she was blonde. Here, she was nearly brunette and wearing a conservative-looking sweater. Like, black with a gray collar that looked like a bow. It's the kind of sweater you'd expect to see on an ultra-Orthodox Jewish girl or a fundamentalist Mormon. At the bottom of the screen, there's a made-up word written in soft, cursive font, almost like a logo for sanitary pads. The word is Jeunesse. It's a special learning track in Nexium just for women. Very shortly into the the program, I started to recognize and experience that what I was looking for wasn't about a relationship. What I was looking for was about an experience of myself in my life. And once I understand how to have that experience of myself in my life for me, I can then have the relationship I want or not, but I'm okay in either circumstance. Jeunesse was all about standing on your own two feet, about being an independent woman. That's what she said to me when we met in her apartment. Okay, so Jeunesse is a made-up word. There is no word in the English language that just uh, means woman. Every word that sort of represents our essence in the world is uh, linked to or in some way represented by a male principle. So woman and female are both based in the derivative of man. And so... Oh, I see. Well, that's how we do women with a Y, though. W-O-M-Y. Okay. So we wanted to come up with something that was like a totally new word. Okay. On the surface, Jeunesse seemed pretty positive, empowering. 
It was another series of Nexium classes that were expensive and that lasted forever. But I would soon learn that Jeunesse was really a way of indoctrinating women to be obedient and unquestioning. The opposite of everything Allison said it would be. Jeunesse was pure misogyny, and yet women were led to believe that this was really going to help them. From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Infamous. The first women's movement that was created by a man, a very unique man. This is about learning about commitment and having the commitment run so deep. So that's, that's what we bring. I'm Vanessa Grigoriadis, and you are listening to episode two of a four-part series, The Inner Circle. If you haven't heard episode one yet, please go back and listen now. At this point, I knew there was something off about the group, but I honestly was still going along with what they were telling me. I wanted to ask questions without getting too confrontational. I couldn't risk alienating them because I still hadn't had my interview with their leader, Keith Ranieri. I need that interview for my story. And I'll get it, eventually. So how did Nexium make people believe in what they were saying? What was actually so meaningful that people were giving up their lives and moving to a suburb outside of Albany? I mean, Albany, the squarest of all square New York towns. It was a suburb called Clifton Park. Just a boring place, some shops on a freeway, no little village even selling crystals or yoga mats or anything like that. But most Nexium members had settled in a development there. When I drove up there, I found myself on winding roads, looking at cookie-cutter houses. But the Nexium members' houses were much larger than the other ones. Some were stone, and they poked out of the ground like brown mushrooms after the rain. Now, you might be hoping that I was here in Clifton Park to meet Keith Ranieri already. But like many of the women who were drawn into Nexium, I was not going to be allowed to meet him until I had met a lot of the other female members. Their job was to seduce me into friendship. Keith always liked to be introduced that way. He would stay behind the curtain until the last possible moment, like the Wizard of Oz. So in Clifton Park, I pulled in the driveway of one of those houses to meet Nancy Salzman. She was the number two in Nexium, right under Keith Ranieri. Come <laughs> So, She opened a door. She ushered me in and showed me to her kitchen island, where she'd put out a really nice buffet, croissants and fruit. As she talked, I took a look at her. She has funky purple-rimmed glasses. She explains things slowly, deliberately. She's sort of like a tough third-grade teacher. So the foundation of our beliefs is this rickety thing where you have certain limitations because you form those beliefs early in life. And there's no place Nancy's talking about how Nexium helps you figure out how to basically heal your inner child. Okay. Okay. Heard about it. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. Exploration of meaning. meaning. Right. Right. Is right. where we actually do an individual process because a person. These are 
very consistent disintegrations that we have societally mm -hmm. that we work through in the philosophical modules. This was a cornerstone of Nexium, sort of like going clear in Scientology. An EM is a quick therapy session where you talk about a traumatic thing in your past and then you find a different interpretation for it. Now, Nancy was going to demonstrate an EM. She was going to use a Nexium member who was right here in her kitchen. Do you remember when it started? Um, like, do you remember, was there ever a time you could fly on the plane you were always scared? Jacqueline is 27 years old. She has long, dark hair and a Spanish accent, and she's trying to find a way to get over her fear of flying. So there was a time when you could fly on the plane and there wasn't a problem. Okay, and then something happened, and it changed. You know what? I remember my mom being always scared because we, we um, actually lived in a lot of countries because my father was escaping uh, from the law. Okay, well, that sounds pretty rough. Let's <laughs> talk about that. So my mom was Jacqueline says her dad was on the lam for years when she was a kid, and the whole family went with him. Nancy asks Jacqueline how she felt about her dad. I was angry, because I, I thought that my mom suffered. So tell me about that. So since I can remember, I saw my mom all the time crying and wanted to go back home. And like he was, he was, he is very has a strong character and he yells and he, you know. And she was all the time like nice and hardly like sweet. So I, I always thought like he's the bad guy. And she, so you made it like he ruined her life. Yeah. So when you were flying back then. Did you have any problems? My mom took me, when she was going back home to see her mom or whatever, she took me, and I remember once she went to see her dad that was very sick. He was about to die, and she cried all the plane from Israel to Mexico, and I was like, seemed like five. And I was the one, like, holding her. So for me, it was like a, like, very uncomfortable to fly. Nancy goes back to the idea that Jacqueline's dad forced her mom to go on the run with him. Like, what if he didn't force her? She says, well, what if he didn't force her? I mean, she didn't want to go. But do you think he made her go back to the Did they tie her up and No, I mean, I, I think she decided. But that's not what... <laughs> Why do you think she went? Nancy's asking her why she thinks she went. I mean, he could have coerced her. Coercion is a type of forcing. Jacqueline did say he has a strong personality and he yelled a lot. But Nancy says Jacqueline's mom must have really loved her dad to be willing to go on the run with him. She must have wanted to keep the family together, even if it made her miserable. Yeah. What did she do? Nancy keeps at it, until... She decided to, to be with him? Yeah. Well, she loved him. And she decided to fight for uh, having her family together. Yeah. And so they took on something that was difficult. And she did it as long as she could. Until she couldn't anymore. And then she chose something else. 
just like she chose to go. Those were all choices. Nobody forced her. He didn't force her. What Nancy was getting at, I guess, is that Jacqueline is afraid of flying because when the family was on the lamb flying around all the time, Jacqueline's mom was miserable and afraid. Only she couldn't have been that miserable because she chose that life. I don't know, this logic seemed flawed and my brain felt like a pretzel, but apparently something was happening for Jacqueline. Like, if that were different when you were a little girl, if you knew all of those things, what would have been different? I mean, first, I think I would have a more loving relationship with my dad. I wouldn't be sorry. I was blaming him. And I think I wouldn't be so scared to be, like, alone or being, like, a little girl because I saw my mom like that. And I think I just kept, kept repeating, like, I can't. I'm, I'm not strong enough. So you felt like you were a little girl like your mom? Yeah, like, I need a man to protect Okay, so, like, if you knew that your mother made those choices. Yeah. That she didn't stay with your father because she needed a man to protect her, but she actually made those choices. Mm-hmm. What would have been different for you? Well, I, I think I would have less fear about the world. So, if you imagine that you had this data. So, sometimes in an EM, mm-hmm. there's a lack of data. And the disintegration occurs because of a lack of data. And so when we find this, the source kind of events, we fill in a bunch of data. They reevaluate, mm-hmm. called recapitulate. Yeah. How does it feel? Like, more secure. Okay. So Nancy was finding spaces in the traumatic events of Jacqueline's childhood. And she was filling in those spaces with new data. Only... The data was something that Nancy kind of made up on the spot. It seems empowering on the surface, but is it really? The way Nancy pushed this data on Jacqueline felt pretty manipulative. I was trying to keep an open mind, and look, I would pay somebody a million dollars if they could reframe my past traumatic experiences, especially where my family is concerned. But Nancy wasn't a real therapist. She was actually a hypnotist. More after the break. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. All the meals are chef-crafted, dietitian approved they're always fresh, never frozen, and unbelievably, they're ready to go in just two minutes. You've got more than 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. That's not including any of the 60-plus add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. That's right, no dishes. And they're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime, like if you decide to go on vacation or something. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com infamous50 and use code infamous50 to get 50% off. That's code infamous50 at factormeals.com infamous50 to get 50% off. The early 2000s was a breeding ground for bad reality competition series. 
from shows like Kid Nation, CBS's weird Lord of the Flies-style social experiment that took 40 kids to live by themselves in a ghost town, to The Swan, where women spent months undergoing a physical transformation and then were made to compete in a beauty pageant. On each episode of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop, comedians join host Misha Brown to chronicle one of the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? Recently, The Big Flop looked at The Swan, a competition show between women who were hoping to transform their physical appearance. The problem? The women were isolated for weeks, berated, operated on, and then were ranked by a panel of judges. It all led to trauma for the contestants and terrible reviews. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus. This is Infamous from Campside Media. People in Nexium believed EMs were a way of becoming more independent, a way of understanding yourself. Here's Alison Mack again. She was a big believer. And the only way that human beings really learn and really recapitulate their learning, which is often what we need to do, is just unlearn stuff that we learned in a faulty way when we were kids. Right, 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 right. She told me before she and I spoke, there was a period where she was doing EMs every day. Recently, I was uh, working on something that I was feeling afraid of. I was feeling very fearful every time I would go to do an interview. Mm -hmm. Like for this stuff, I was just feeling like this intense amount of pressure. And right. So I had a conversation with one of the teachers mm -hmm. in Nexium, and she helped me understand that the fear started when I was eight years old. And my teacher gave me a lot of praise in relationship to punish, punishing all the other kids for having done well on the test when everybody else did poorly. Mm -hmm. I have this anxiety of like, if I fuck up, yeah. I'm gonna be one of those kids that was punished back when I was eight. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It did not make any sense, but I went along with it for the story. What I was thinking when I was saying yes, yes, is keep talking, keep talking, because eventually, hopefully, this will make sense. But also in my head, I was starting to think that these EMs were actually a little scary. And I began to see how the allegations of brainwashing could be right. So what do you think of the word cult? I think it sucks. Mm -hmm. Because it's, it puts us in the same category as Charles Manson and Jonestown and we're not those things. Mm -hmm. Like, cult has been a, a word that has been associated with really violent people that get together and do really mean things. And, it's not what we do, and that's not who we are. And now we're thought of as that because we're called the same thing. So I think it sucks. Yeah. And if the root of the word cult is in culture, and it has to do with a group of people who have like-minded beliefs coming together and practicing certain things right. with one another. So if that's what cult actually is, then there's a cult everywhere. But if Nexium leaders can change the way that people think about their own memories, what other ideas are they putting in people's heads? Look at Jeunesse, the women's course with the made-up name that Allison spent years promoting. Not every woman in Nexium joined the Jeunesse track, but most of the women in the sorority, the women who branded themselves, they'd been through Jeunesse. It was like the gateway drug to all the extreme dieting, the penances, the brands. Jeunesse was about women and men and power. 
And this was December 2017. So it was the height of Me Too. So how do you see this moment of women? I mean, obviously the last few months have been, you know, how particularly you interesting. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, um, I think it's an interesting time. I think it's a really interesting time to be a woman. I, I'm not in support of a lot of the things that are happening. Mm -hmm. I think it's a very sad time because I think that we're taking a moment or an opportunity of being heard and being listened to and we're using it in a very um, violent and aggressive mm -hmm. way, which I don't think is indicative of the true female principle. And I think that rather than pointing fingers and being victims, it would be great if we figured out how we devised it to begin with. It was a little upside down, huh? Victims responsible for abuse. I had a hard time believing she was actually saying this, but she went on. I think that we don't have the same expectations to uphold responsibility that men have, mm -hmm. unless we're mothers. You know, like we can scream victim or scream rape in order to solve the problem herself. A woman who says she's been raped doesn't need help. The more time I spent with Allison, the more strange anti-woman stuff I saw. Is this what she was learning from Nexium? Or was this just Allison? It was hard to tell. Because the truth of the matter is, like, in the ugly corners of my heart, I see other women as competition. I don't see other women as sisters. And as much as I smile and say, you're my sister, that's not how I feel. Right. I don't yeah. like that about myself. Right. And I wanted to find other women that were... A, willing to be honest about the fact that that was what was going on for them, too, mm -hmm. and B, wanted to figure out how to get through that together. According to Allison and to Nexium, what women really needed was to discipline themselves. They needed to discipline those weak, womanly habits. And to return to the branding sorority, that's what Allison said it was all about. Ultimately, like, I really just wanted to figure out how the fuck do I be, like, 100% honest and intimate with somebody. Because I always felt like I was keeping something. Mm -hmm. And I was expressing this to my friend. And she was like, I have something that I think you might like. Mm -hmm. And it may be the answer to a lot of things that you're looking for in yourself. Mm -hmm. And she goes, well, before I tell you information about it, I need you to give me something to show me that I can trust you that you'll uphold your word. Like, I need you to back your promise with right. something valuable. Okay. And I was like, okay, maybe better. <laughs> you know, because I was like, that seems like dangerous. Yeah. Um, but also, it made a lot of sense. If I back my word with something, then I know I'm not going to break my word. Um, but I thought about it for like a week before I gave her the first piece of collateral. Let me get into this for a second. Because women are weak, and they often break their word. The women in Nexium were giving each other, willingly, a type of collateral. What each woman was giving to the other to cement their friendship was literally the type of stuff you could blackmail with. Naked pictures, sex tapes, a letter to Child Protective Services saying you'd abused your kid. Falsely, a false letter. And you could still get your kid taken away because of it. Or something like the deed to your home. Just sign that home over to your friend to show your loyalty. 
Once you had turned in this blackmail to another woman, you were considered that woman's slave. And Allison says she was down for this. It worked. It worked right away. Like, all of a sudden, I, like, was, like, more fit and healthy than I'd ever been. I had more confidence than I ever had. I was nicer than I ever was. I was easier to be around with my family. I was working. Like, all of a sudden, like, I started getting work. And my agent was like, the fuck is going on for yeah. you? But really what happened was I found my spine. I felt stronger and stronger and stronger internally. And it was amazing. The women actually had a name for this group, and it was a pretty scary name. It was DOS, which stood for Dominus Obsequious Sororium. That means, sort of, in Latin, master over the slave women. So they were all slaves. But who was the master? Well, it turns out that behind all the self-help jargon, there was actually a sort of pyramid of slaves in Nexium. You'll be hearing a lot about that later. But for now, what you should understand is Allison was a slave, but she was also a master. And then, at the very top of the pyramid, and no one quite knew this yet, there was a grandmaster. A man. A very strange man. So what was Keith's role then? Was he involved at all? No, he wasn't involved at all in the development of it. More after the break. I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Payne. And I'm here to tell you that we're back with a brand new season of Up and Vanished, called Up and Vanished in the Midnight Sun. In this newest season of Up and Vanished, I'm investigating an unsolved missing persons case in Nome, Alaska, on the edge of the Arctic Circle. Florence Okpialik, an Alaska native, was last seen on August 31st, 2020. And I've spent the last year in Alaska trying to find out what happened to her, putting myself in the most dangerous positions I've ever been in. You don't want to miss this brand new season of Up and Vanished. It is by far the most intense investigation I've ever been a part of. From Tenderfoot TV, Up and Vanished in the Midnight Sun is available right now. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Infamous from Campside Media. Allison Mack was a slave, and she was totally cool with it. But what about her slaves? I gave one of them a call. Hello? Hey. India Oxenberg. So tell me how you got involved with Nexium. As we were being connected, I thought about the irony of her being a slave because she was descended from actual royalty. Her grandmother had been the princess of Yugoslavia, and her mom, Catherine Oxenberg, starred in the show Dynasty in the 80s. Indy was part of a kind of heiress Illuminati that Nexium liked to recruit from. They loved the daughters of the rich and famous. Now, Catherine Oxenberg was publicly calling Nexium a cult and trying to take down Keith. 
my daughter is not in her right mind. And that is what Keith Raniere and this Nixium cult has done to her. So it made sense that Nexium wanted me to hear the other side of the story, from India. She lived in Albany, near Nexium headquarters. But after her mom told the media about the group, India went back to L.A. I wondered if that meant she was starting to have some doubts about Nexium. So, um, so are you going to go back to Albany? What are you going to do when you come back to New York? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's my plan. Um, we have a, a summit, and my plan is to go back. My, my things are still there. And my room is still there. <laughs> like, Got my it. life is still there. Right. It's, no doubts here. India was fully invested in Nexium. The room she's talking about was actually in Allison Mack's house. They were close, even before Allison made her her slave. I feel like she's like an older sister and, um, like, a best friend. And somebody who I've really, like, shared a lot of myself with. Allison was the one who had gotten her into the sorority, a group of women who branded themselves. Did she tell you about it when you moved to Albany or like what happened? If you can take me through it. It was a series of conversations. And then I just had to sit and think about it. I mean, sometimes I, w- I would go back to L.A. and I would sit and think about it for a month mm-hmm. before I would make any decisions um, and really just like weigh things out. So it wasn't like a you know, here's here's the conversation, now pledge. Right. It's like, what do you want for your life? What is, what's your purpose? How does this, how does this relate to the things that you say that you want? What do you want? And like really sitting with, with that. And so what made you ultimately do it? I think what made me ultimately do it was I felt really stuck mm-hmm. uh, and stuck with my own emotional reactions. Like, I was like, okay, I say that I want to do these types of things in my life, but as soon as I, you know, have an uncomfortable feeling about it, I just quit. And what what she explained to me was that there was a there was a way and a support and a system to help you basically uphold yourself and uphold your word. Where a majority of the time, like if I don't say to somebody, um, "Hey, today I'm not going to eat sugar," like it's just me with me. And if yeah. I don't have a good relationship with myself in that way and I start to like feel bad or somebody offers me a piece of cake, who's to say that I'm not going to eat it? There, there was something for me about knowing that somebody else was there to, who also had my best interest and wasn't going to let me off the hook that I was like, oh, I think I need that. Right. Like I needed more structure. I needed more discipline because I don't have it on my own. And I, I wasn't raised to have it on my own. It's more... Uh, like of a male quality or trait that I've always admired, but I just didn't feel strong enough in in my capacity to do it. Discipline was a male quality? Wasn't this supposed to be a women's empowerment group? Where was this casual misogyny coming from? I couldn't help but think it was some sort of jeunesse indoctrination. But setting that aside for a minute, what I was really interested in was this thing about the cake. One of the things that India's mom had talked about to the media was her weight. She said that India lost so much weight that her hair was falling out. Her period stopped. That's not, I'm not going to eat sugar, weight loss. That's not, I'm not going to eat, weight loss. That's mind control, weight loss. 
And I'd heard that Keith had been putting women on extreme diets of like 500 calories a day. He called it the blood sugar diet, supposedly, which is all the calories that you consume, you need to burn. I'm a foodie, so... (laughs) So I, I I have dieted in the past, and I dieted to get to certain goals, but I mm-hmm. I don't think that that's unusual for women. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've tried a lot of weird diets. Like, I've been raw, I've been vegan, I've, I've been vegetarian for a long time. So but what about the extreme I, um, dieting, that's, the 500 calories a, a day and no more? That's a suggestion based on if you want to meet certain goals, and then also challenging your beliefs about food and about your feelings about hunger and about your feelings of wants and desires like all of it is meant for you to just sort of get to know yourself but it's not to like starve you or damage you like the way that it's presented is so like cruel and and terrible that isn't my experience at all like actually I learned a lot about my body and how different how I related to different foods how I related to my emotions and with food um how I use certain things to cover those emotions, how I, how other things were exposed when I wasn't doing that. Um, I mean, was your hair falling out? No more than it does. Like, you know how hair falls out like every three, three months? Mm-hmm. It, I always have that. The reason I knew all this was because something sort of crazy had happened. India's mom had taken her to a doctor because... Obviously, she was concerned about India, and she was being a good mom. Because I've had issues with my thyroid since I was 16. So the fact, like, the the assessment um, wasn't accurate. Did she say to you that you weren't going to be able to have children because, like, you were anorexic or something? Is that what she said? She did. She did say that. Okay. But then Nexium had taken India to another doctor. And this doctor had reassessed India. The new doctor, the doctor that Nexium hired, said India was fine. So what? So the doctor, did you go and meet him recently? Yeah, I did. Over While I was here, I met him in November. Mm -hmm. Why did you do that? I wanted to have... An eval- I wanted to have an objective evaluation by somebody who is clinically trained. Mm-hmm. So here India is saying that this doctor was objective. But how could that be? Nexium had paid for it. And it was in Nexium's best interests for everything to appear above board. For people who were all about truth, there was an awful lot of self-delusion going on. So he was very sweet and very professional. I, I drank a coffee and had some chocolates and some ginger chews. And I just sort of like just told him my whole story. And, and I felt really comfortable with him. I, I It was nice to just sort of share and, and not have to worry about somebody, you know, fucking with you. Right. Because <laughs> he's a doctor. I mean, I, I felt I trust those things. Right. Okay, leaving aside the deep creepiness of Nexium hiring a doctor to assess India, she was saying nothing to see here. But if India's hair falling out didn't worry her, what about the branding? Like, I see it as all sort of a tool in order for you to, you know, learn a lesson or understand something deeper about yourself. So I really didn't ask that many questions about the brand. I just figured... Um, oh, this is going to be 
you know, something good. This is mm-hmm. going to be helpful. It's going to push me on something that I'm clearly uncomfortable with, but I didn't see it as a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt overwhelmed because I was like, I don't know how to address this. Because I'm literally sitting in my house drinking a latte. Nothing is fucking happening to me. I'm not in a dungeon. I'm not being starved. The worst thing is now I have increased anxiety because I'm. people are saying that I'm a brainwashed sex slave all over the internet. Nothing to see here. But India kept telling me about being pushed to do things she felt uncomfortable with. It was concerning. Pushing yourself to do something that's uncomfortable but good for you, like joining a running club to make new friends, that's one thing. But someone else pushing you to do an uncomfortable thing with your body, that's entirely different. And as I talked with the Nexium members, I began to realize that pushing people into doing uncomfortable things was sort of what this whole group was based on. One of the very first things that people do in Nexium is an EM, one of those pseudotherapy sessions where you're talking about some traumatic event from your past. And Nexium makes you understand that the bad thing that happened to you was maybe not so bad. Or maybe you don't need to feel bad about it because you can control how you feel. Actually, you've been choosing to feel like a victim. So you can choose not to feel like a victim anymore. That realization feels pretty good. And if nobody can make you feel like a victim, except yourself, when somebody pushes you to do something uncomfortable, well, you've chosen that. So you're the one with the power, even if you're doing something you don't really want to do, right? The uncomfortable thing Indy was doing, I'd learn later, was going over to Keith's house over the course of a year, and he'd go down on her. The discipline, maybe, was numbing herself to the point that she didn't care. Next time, I'll meet Keith himself. Science-wise, brainwashing doesn't exist, and I don't believe brainwashing exists. There's a type of female narcissism that is bred into us because we're overprotected. I honestly, I can't explain why it even bothers them enough to continue to even think about us. If they want to leave, leave. Right. Infamous is a production of Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment. It's created, executive produced, and hosted by Gabriel Sherman and me, Vanessa Gregoriadis. I wrote this episode with Shoshi Shmulovitz, our managing producer and editor. Some of this reporting appeared in the New York Times Magazine in 2018. The executive producers at Campside are Josh Dean, Adam Hoff, and Matt Scher. Rajiv Gola is our senior producer. Our associate producers are Lily Smith, Grace Heerman, and Garrett Graham. This episode was edited by Natalie Robomed, sound designed by Alistair Sherman, Fact-checked by Sarah Krolevsky and recorded by Ewen Leitremuen. Our mix engineer is David Devereaux. Thank you to PJ Vote and thank you to Campside's operations team, Doug Slaywin, Aaliyah Papes, and Destiny Dingle.